0: Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnet. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon.
1: Bibles. Amen. We are going to go, amen, to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to continue on in our series of knowing the will of God. Amen. Ephesians chapter number 1. And uh, we're going to start reading. Um, Let's begin reading at verse number 7. Amen. In whom we have redemption through his blood even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Say, obtained an inheritance. Amen. Being predestined according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance till the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray together tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom and the liberty that we feel in this place to worship you and to experience your grace and your goodness again. I pray that you would open our understanding tonight in scripture, open our understanding for revelation, Lord, that we can better know you and walk in greater fellowship and communion with you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Amen. We're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. We kind of went a little a uh, bit of a different direction that we had went in the Woodland campus. So I want to bring us to this point. Uh, there are three, three things and, and we're talking about the will of God as in uh, we have talked for weeks. Matter of fact, I didn't realize that we've been in this since late January, early February. Uh, Brother Garza, I was asking him last night, I said, we've been doing this for what, like seven or eight weeks. He said, no, all year. So, um, <laughs> So we, we've been, we've been in for quite a while and, um, but we were talking about the will of God for weeks. We talked about the will of God as in the purpose of God. That is God's purpose, plan, direction for our life. And then we shifted a few weeks ago into the will of God, meaning the, the possession of God, that which God is to give us. And so we talked about a legal terms. We talked about the will. of as in not just purpose, but the will of God as in a testament. That's why it's called a New Testament and an Old Testament, right? It's a legally binding document, amen. But it's not uh, legally binding in the courts of America or the courts of any, it's legally binding in the courts of heaven, amen. amen. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall never pass away. Amen. And so we talked about that, um, we began to get into it as a as a legal term, uh, in understanding the word of God almost from that sense of legalese that there's some terminology we need to be familiar with, and there are three terminologies I want you to be familiar with as we move into this tonight, and one of them is uh, a testator, and that is the one who creates the will. That is the one who is going to give away their possession or whatever it is. And there is the testament, that is the will, that is the document that the testator creates or has drafted. And then the third one is the beneficiary or the inheritor of what is going to be received from the benefactor or, or the one who is the testator who is giving uh, what it is to us. And if you'll remember, we talked about the importance of um of knowing the will meaning knowing the testament knowing the word of god as we've been driving at home in this series that that uh, the word of god needs to be something that we we fall in love with and that we long for it um and and we talked about that if if you miss the reading of the will you're going to miss your inheritance Amen. The reading of the will is the word. Anytime you hear me talking about the will, for the most part, I'm talking about the Bible. Amen. Uh, Your your inheritance is based on your knowledge of the will. Your inheritance is based on your knowledge of the Testament. Amen. And so we have to get into that. And so tonight I want to talk more about the inheritance and um, kind of the biblical understanding of the inheritance. I believe it's Deuteronomy 21. Um, I think that's right. Is that is it Deuteronomy 21? If you will flip there real fast, that's Moses giving the law from God on um, on how the inheritance is is to happen. As a matter of fact, um, it's 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 important to God that there is an inheritance. That's why it's put in the law of Moses. And I believe it's about halfway through Deuteronomy 21, and you will see that Moses begins to, uh, God begins to tell Moses that if a man has a son, that if he has sons, he is to impart to his son, amen, that which is his. Those possessions need to be handed down. And so then he even gets into detail, and uh, he begins to talk about if you have multiple sons, amen. And so the law of Moses was that all the sons would get an inheritance, all of them would but that the eldest son would get a double portion of whatever the next had. So it had to be divided up. Um, I don't know which scripture exactly is in Deuteronomy. It's not relevant. I'm not going to read it. It's just if you want to go back and read it later, it's in Deuteronomy 21. Uh, Matter of fact, God says if a man has two wives. (sighs) Wow, I'm glad we ain't in that dispensation anymore. Amen. Can you imagine that? Praise the Lord. He said, if you, if you, if this is what he said, go home, read it. He said, if you have two wives and you love one, but you hate the other. He said, um, uh, her son, the one that you don't like, her son still is owed an inheritance. So God was pretty emphatic that the blessing should be passed down and it should be, uh, Man, I, I can't even, Im- could you imagine living, could you imagine living going, how, how, you got to, one of them you really like and one of them you really can't stand? That's gotta be, can you imagine Christmas around that house? Can you imagine sitting around Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> and You got one wife and her brood of kids and he really loves her and another wife and her brood of kids and he can't stand her. Man, that must be Awkward. You talk about made for Jerry Springer. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> and they gotta, they gotta live together. Man, that's gotta, that's, that's gotta be some kind of wild. And, and a lot of them had, a lot of them had more than one wife or, or even two wives back then. I'm glad I wasn't back then either. My Lord. Yeah, but could you imagine being the woman? That's pretty tough too. I get him on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. <laughs> we like to kind of gloss over this stuff, but it's in the book. And, and God says, hey, listen now, uh, I don't care if you don't like that woman or not, you're going to bless her son. Because that's your seed. See, God knew, listen, God knew we would have a tendency to see the things we dislike in other people. I know parents that, that hate their own kids because they see themselves in their kids. Oh, I know uncles that, hate their nieces and nephews or aunts hate their nieces and nephews because they see the sibling they don't like in their child. Because we all have that inherent prejudice in us, right? And man, and, and, and so it's easy to look at somebody's kid and that person you couldn't stand and see that kid. And to be honest with yourself, your natural inclination is to not like them based on what their parent did. You know, Hitler had children. They changed their names. They went into hiding. They refused any interviews. You want to know why? Because people would have killed them. Even though they had nothing to do with their father's demonic delusions. God knew that about us. God knew that about us. And he said... I am so intent that you pass down the blessing and you don't leave any of your sons out based on what their mother or their parent or their father has done. You pass the blessing down. See, we've, we've flipped it in, in this generation. Um, we're the first generation not passing down blessing in this nation. We're passing down debt. I mean, last I looked, every child born today will owe like $48,000 just the moment they're born. It's insane. Amen. God was pretty intent that the blessing be passed down. I was um, not too long ago reading uh, G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with him. But he wrote something, and he said, "This isn't in my notes. Matter of fact, hardly anything is." But he said something, Brother Chase. It stuck, and I haven't been able to shake this. And I, and I'm, I'm even hesitant to say it because some, somebody, obviously not here, but that would, you know, online or something, podcast, misunderstand this and take it for being political or whatever. But it's not. It's G.K. Chesterton wrote in the 1800s and said, the downfall when a nation or a people are about to collapse, the way you know they are in their death throes is when they start sacrificing their children. When they start giving up their children. And first he said for sacrifices, sacrifices. This this was in the 1800s he wrote this. He said, they begin to offer up their children. Our children are being offered up right now. Amen. And there and there's no, it's not even debatable. As a matter of fact, somebody come to me and said, I think you're being hyperbolic about they're wanting our children. I would look at you and, and say, where have you been? Are you feeling okay? And. We are a nation. Now, I believe there's hope for this country. I I do believe God's going to send a great revival of this nation. But we are obsessed with offering our children up. It's been unbelievable. If G.K. Chesterton's right, and I think he's on to something, that the death throes of a nation or a people or when they devalue their children to the point that they sacrifice them. I know that's heavy. Just sip on that for a while. Don't swallow it all at once. Just sip on it. We've ne- in the history of our nation, we have never done what we are doing to children. And I, for one, don't feel like we need to raise our fist and shake it. I think we need to drop to our knees and pray and ask God to forgive us. That's what he said in Chronicles. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray. There was something else though. Turn from their wickedness. So we can humble and pray, but if we don't turn from our wickedness, we don't get the latter part. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal their lands. Then will I forgive their sins. We got to understand something that, 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 that we are all that is between the judgments of God and our nation amen we need to determine to pass a life down to this next generation amen i i really didn't mean to get off and in all of that but um god was so intent that the blessing be passed down and you see this in the in the uh the story of the, of the prodigal. I I believe it is a true story. Um, I don't believe it's a parable because Jesus said, and a certain man, which means that he was thinking of a particular man. If it was a parable, he would have, he would have said it in a parabolic way, but he said, and a certain man, he was thinking about a man. And let's see what he says in in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse number 11. And I'm going to read this um, all the way through, and so bear with me, because we're going to talk about inheritance and and what it meant uh, to the Jewish people, because it relates to us. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said unto his father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the young son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance on riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose, listen, you always gonna blow your money at the wrong time with sin. Every time. You're gonna go bankrupt at the wrong time. It's better to stay in the church, amen. And he went uh, and he spent all the, there arose a mighty famine and began to be in want. And he joined himself to a citizen of that country because as a foreigner, this country where he was did not feel compelled to meet his needs. That's why he joined a citizen. When a famine arise, listen. When a famine arises, you're going to feed your kids first, right? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe a lot of people are different, more different than I thought. Maybe famine and pestilence hit, and they want to take care of the neighbors first and let their kids starve. A pestilence, a famine hit. Like we don't know what famine is. A famine hit. People were starving, and the young prodigal said if I'm going to get something to eat, I'd better, I, I better connect myself to a citizen because they're going to take care of their own. They're going to kick us out. They're going to let us starve. But I better sign up with somebody who's invested to where I am. And so he joined a citizen uh, of another country, and that citizen sent him into the fields to feed swine. This citizen was good enough to bring him in, but he could care less about this young man's religious beliefs now. As a, as a Jewish young man, he wasn't allowed to even touch swine. He wasn't allowed to be close to swine. You can't start getting religious preferences when you've been living like the devil. All of a sudden, you're going to say, well, I don't feed swine. I'm, I'm Jewish. Wait a second. You was in a cat house for six weeks snorting, sniffing, drinking, shooting, huffing, puffing, cussing, but all of a sudden you don't, that citizen didn't care. He said, you're gonna eat my food, You're you're gonna go feed the pigs. That was the lowest form of animal to Jewish people. It's the most filthy, most disgusting, they'd rather die than touch them. So he went out to feed them. And he would have feigned have his belly filled with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. I love verse 17 because I believe we're about to see a revival of verse 17. And when he came to himself, I pray every day God, let the prodigals come to themselves, let them wake themselves. I, I pray for I do I pray for our state, I pray for our nation. I just wish we'd just shake ourselves and wake up out of this. And when people are waking up, you, you know, I've told you before, mark my words, mark this, what they what they are doing toward our children, you're about to see the most unlikely alliances you've ever seen in America. I saw it the other day when I was praying. I'm not saying God gave it to me. I was meditating. I saw this it. come to my mind. You are going to see neo-Nazis and Black Panthers lock arms to stop what they're doing to our children in schools. You're going to see white supremacists, brown supremacists, black supremacists all come together and say, we'll hate each other later. We got to stop what they're doing to our kids. Just, just write it down. It may not happen tomorrow, but if they continue to do what they're doing, go, they're going to have enough of it. You can mess with a lot of stuff, but don't you mess with people's kids, not people that are God-fearing. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my servants, how many hired servants of my father has bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? That's a good question. I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He still knew if he wanted to live, get to the father's house. Amen. I'm telling you, we're going to see a revival of that. We're going to see prodigals. Amen. By faith, when we get that next building, amen, up the street, whenever that happens, next month, next week, whenever it happens, amen. I'm, I'm, I'm praying, God, with what we move in there with, with what we have, double it with prodigals coming home. Double it with the prodigals coming home that are tired of being in the pig pen. That, that They're not worried about position in the Father's house. They just, they just want to get back to where they know there's bread. They just want to get back to where they know that there's safety. He arose, and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, when he was a great way off, his father saw him. That that let me know that father had daily expectation for him to return. People may not know this, but there are prodigals from our church that I look for them every day to come back. Amen. The Bible said when he saw him a a, a great ways off, he saw him... now, I, I read, uh, trying to, if I want to chase this rabbit or not, but I think it's got significance. I was reading a book on Jewish customs, and it specifically spoke of the prodigal, and it told a vantage point, Brother Garza, that I, that I had not known. I read this sometime last year. Uh, I've been saving it because I, I thought I might preach it, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'll just run a whole good message for you. <clears throat> and they were saying that, that during this time, that when someone left the city uh, and they went and they were disgraced, uh, that the city fathers or the gatekeepers of the city had the right to punish them if they did not come back in. Welcome, as a matter of fact, they could, according to the law of that region, they could as much as kill them before they got into the city if they did not return, having restored relationships they broke when they left. And so the reason why the father ran to him when he saw him a great way off, Sister Strickland, is because he knew that if he let his son fall into the hands of, Of those at the gate, they could kill his son or punish him. So every day the father went and waited for his son so he could make sure he came back in safely to the city. I'm so glad Jesus is looking for me. And when I wonder from him, he was looking for me. And I am so thankful that when the enemy could have took me out and drug my soul to a devil's hell, I am so glad that the father looked and waited with anticipation and said, that's my child and I'm not going to let him be judged. I'm not going to let him burn. I'm not going to let him face God. No, no, I'm going to love him. I'm going to bring him back into fellowship. I'm going to bring him back into union. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a lot to the story of the prodigal. The father ran out on his neck, what he fell on his neck, and kissed him. According to the book of Jewish tradition and law that I was reading, it was the it was the it was the hug and the kiss that must have been done in public to restore that person back to be welcomed into the city. And when the father fell on him and he kissed him, he was literally throwing his arms up. hallelujah. I'm ready to see those prodigals come home. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they said. I don't care who they said it to or did it with. I don't care if they trash talked you or me or did. It doesn't matter. When they come home, it's time to come home. Strike up the band. It's time to celebrate. Amen. Praise God. Now, Then he says, um, he said, and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. First thing he did was confess his sin. If too many people had come to church trying to bolster their right to do what they did, he said, no, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. I love the fact that the father didn't even address this. He had already forgiven him. Before he opened his mouth, his kiss sealed the fact that he forgave him. He didn't even look at him and say, boy, it's okay, don't worry about it. He didn't rub his face in it and say, you dingbat. He didn't do any of that. He just immediately turned to the servants, bring forth the best robe, and put it on him put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet. All of these were significant, but the ring, the ring was the signet of the family. He put that on his hand and said, you are a part of the family. Amen. And he said, "Uh, bring forth the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The son, the prodigal son, we don't know what his name was, but the prodigal son had an understanding of inheritance because he went to his father and he said, in verse 11, 12, and 13, he says, Give me what's already coming to me. He knew his rights as the younger son. He knew he wasn't going to get what his elder brother got. It wasn't divided 50-50. It was whatever he got, the elder brother got double of that. This was at at some sacrifice to the father to do this because he had to calculate his wealth and he had to cash out, if you would, whatever the value of that farm or what, I don't know, he could have owned a taco stand for all I know. But whatever the value of his assets were, the father had to calculate that. And then what his son would receive and give it to him. The son knew his rights and he knew what was coming to him. Uh, we could make all kinds of uh, thoughts and sermons and about the intent and why the son felt, he, wanted, he felt I'm too young to be held down at home. I'm too young to be tied up here working on a farm and milking cows. I'm, I'm ready to go sow my wild oats. I'm ready to go be my own man. And, and the father um, allowed him to do that. No, notice that the young man knew the law. He knew the law. He knew what was rightfully his. But he manipulated it. There are people that know the word. They know the will. They know the testament. But they manipulate it to their own benefit. That's why we've got to teach, preach, live, receive and love the unadulterated truth of God's word. That God's word is what it is. And we you you know it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of when Satan came and tempted Jesus in the wilderness and he kept he kept quoting him scripture. And it wasn't that he didn't quote the right scripture, he just quoted it with the wrong intent. The son knew the will. The son knew the testament. He knew it. He just had the wrong intent with it. I want to challenge you. We got to make sure that we know the right intent of our heart when we use the word of God. I, listen, I, I know nobody here has probably ever done it, but I've done it before. I, I will be transparent enough to tell you there's been times I unsheathed the sword and I used it on innocence. I wanted to win that argument. I wanted to win that debate. I wanted to prove my point. We, we've got to use the right intent with the Word of God when we use the Word of God because this ain't a game. This isn't some this isn't some little tinker toy from uh, from Toys R Us. This is a sharp two-edged sword dividing even asunder the soul and the spirit. we got to make sure that when we use this, we've got the intent of God, and we've got the heart of God, and we've got the mind of God, and we've got the love of whoever it is we're sharing the Word of God with that we're trying. Trying to reach them with the word. Amen. There are some messages that God's given me that I, I put notes in the margins. I will would, would remind myself this can be heavy. This can be damaging. Make sure you're in the right spirit when you preach this. Because it's easy. The word of God is sharp. We want to make sure it's doing what its intent is to do. Amen. Now, the son knew his inheritance. He knew his rights. And he said, give me what belongs to me. I'm going to take what belongs to me. I'm going to do my own thing. There's so so much I could do with this story uh, that I won't do for sake of time. There's so much on the prodigal that that is so powerful and so beautiful. But he went to his father. He said, "Give give me my inheritance. I'm telling you that to say this. There is an inheritance that belongs to the children of God. There is an inheritance that belongs to the children of God. And I don't know about you, but I want whatever it is that God has for my life. Whatever it is God wants to do for my life. Amen. Whatever God wants to say, whatever God wants me to have, I want that in my life. Amen. Now, if I want to go to another scripture, I'm going to try to catch us up here. If you'll go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to go to verse... Number 17, and we're talking about understanding the law of inheritance, right? Understanding the law of inheritance that inheritance, uh, that inheritance comes. And then I'm going to talk about this, and then I'm going to start turning the horse back to the barn and talk about how beautiful our connection is uh, to God, and this is Gentiles. Now, this is a story of the rich, young ruler. Check this out. And when he was gone forth, there came one running. He he was really wanting to meet Jesus. And kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, as far as I know, that is the only person that ever asked about eternal life in that matter. What shall I do to inherit it? What shall I do to inherit? Most everybody else said, what, what, what must I do to be saved? He says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? That's what I want to know. How do I just... How do I get this inherited to me? Well, you're about to find out why he said that. Well, spoiler alert, he was a rich, young ruler. That meant everything he had was given to him. It was inherited. He was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. There were no entrepreneurs that could attain that level in that day. You had to inherit it. So he already has the inheritance mindset. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now watch, watch Jesus in the next verse here. Why callest thou me good, you forked tongue politician? You smooth talker? This, this, brings a, this brings a little bit of context to the story because Jesus turns back and says, he didn't say, hey, man, you sure do run fast. He didn't say, like your shoes, all the camels laden with gold. He just responds to him and said, why do you call me good? I mean, this rich young ruler, he was educated in the finest schools. Had the greatest of language and word art. He could speak. I mean, his voice was so sweet. His voice was like, honey, his voice was so sweet. You get diabetes listening to him. Good master. what? Why are you calling me good? There ain't nobody good but one. That is God. So first of all, what Jesus is doing is he's disarming his charm. He said, I know you schmoozed up to your daddy to get a little extra gold in the pot, but you're not getting it this way. That wasn't a common greeting, good master. It wasn't very common. He runs up to him panting, out of breath, slides in on his knees. and I, I think it's pretty accurate because he running, knelt before him, probably slid into the feet of Jesus like sliding into second base. Out of breath, panting, cloud of dust behind him says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, if Well, son, if you understand inheritance, first of all, you understand you can't, do anything. You can't earn an inheritance. You can't buy an inheritance. You're not worthy of the inheritance. Your getting the inheritance is not based on your goodness, it's based on the goodness of the testator. So tell me, how do I got to work this? That I can inherit eternal life. Y'all with me on this? Go to the next verse, sis, if you would. Then Jesus says, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. And He's going, okay, got that one. Do not kill, got that one. Do not steal, okay. Do not bear a false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And then the rich young ruler responds in the next verse and he says I mean he is grinning ear to ear and says I did all this I've done it since my youth Give it I'm good I've done all of this I've, I've honored my father and mother that's why I'm rich while I'm young and I'm ruling I rule rich young I've done all of this since I was a youth. You're still a youth, Jack. That's why we call you the rich young ruler. Amen. somebody 17 says, I'm grown. Really? You big, you ain't grown. I know people 30 ain't even grown yet. <laughs> I know people in their 70s ain't grown yet. They seem to congregate in D.C. for some reason, though. So, (laughs) any chance I get, I'm doing that. Y'all know it's coming. Got a bunch of them in Sacramento, anywhere there's politicians. Anyway, say, I've done all this. I'm rich, I'm young, I've done it. I can see this with Diamonds glistening off his fingers. I mean, he probably looked like Mr. T walking around. You know how young people are? They don't handle moderation very well. Right? I'm going to tell you, if I had $50,000 when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, my car wouldn't have just been cool. It it, would have been cool. If I had the ability to diamond crust my steering wheel, I probably would have, if if money was no object, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, just flaunt it. He's a rich, young ruler. He's flaunting this stuff when he walks. You can walk behind him and sing, "I hear the chains falling," because just everything's jiggling and jangling. might even have a pinky toe ring. I don't know. He's young. He's rich. He's a ruler. Who's going to tell him no? I can not just see him go, I've done all of these things since I was a youth. I got this. I can just see him. I got this. He's about to give it to me. Oh, yeah, he's about to give it to you, all right. He's about to give you something you ain't ever got. Because Jesus responds to him. Now, now I want you to notice the first phrase of verse 21. Jesus beholding him, loved him. Now, the, the question that would be correctly asked here, knowing how many know the end of this story? Pretty much all of us. It don't end well for him. But if the question would be, Sister Chase, if Jesus really loved him, then why would Jesus ask of him the thing he knew he wouldn't give away? And that's a legit question. Because love will often require of you the thing that you love the most so that you can love him the most. Because God's not going to negotiate with us and say, okay, so you're going to serve me? What are you willing to give up? Lord, I'm willing to give up pizza. Okay, good. That's a good start. Ice cream? No. Okay, let's try something else. Broccoli. Yeah, I can do that. Tamales. Lord, now we're going a little too far there. (laughs) It's not how it works. Oftentimes, Jesus will find that thing we love the most. And I, I, I want to be very careful because I'm not saying that, you, you, I got to be, I, I know probably not, but just, just in case it floats around, if you're saying, well, I love my kids, is he going to make me give my kids up and just drop them off on the street corner somewhere with the help wanted sign? No, it's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Even though you feel like it sometimes. I, you, can't, <laughs> you can't do it and say, well, Jesus said I got to give up one other. But he has a way. God has a way. And if you'll remember, when you first came to him, some of the things he put his finger on in your life. I said, I want that. And you said, but God, it's not a sin. He said, that's not what I said. He said, I want that because you're, 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 you're too infatuated with it. And I want you to myself. Loved him. Jesus loved this man. And I don't don't think that word means loved him as in the sense of love you, bro. I don't think it means, in just the general sweeping sense of love. I think Jesus had an affinity for him, was touched by this young ruler who would humble himself and run up to catch him and bow himself in the dirt. Jesus saw, and he loved him. And he said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Because we've got to stop associating love with being, well, the one thing you're good at. Because true love is going to tell you about the thing you're lacking. Amen. It may not apply to you now, just hold on, it will at some point. Because that true love will look at that thing. I don't know that the riches of this young man would have stopped him. Now, I'm just, just bear with me for a second. Don't, don't throw stones until I'm done. I'm not so sure that his riches would have stopped him from picking up his cross and following Jesus that day. I think he would have personally. This is just me for whatever it's worth. I think he would have took up his cross, as Jesus said, and would have followed him. He was so passionate. But six months later when they're sleeping at Motel 6 and his family's in the Hilton two years later when Jesus is on a cross and they're looking to kill anybody associated with it, one thing you would lackest go thy way sell whatsoever thou hast give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. That's where your inheritance is. And then he gave him an invitation. Come, take up that cross and follow me. It wasn't the cross that intimidated the rich young ruler. It was the separation from what he loved, from what he knew, He couldn't be comfortable walking away from that thing that was so precious to him. That inheritance that he felt he had earned. You say, Pastor, how do you know he felt like he earned the inheritance? Did you read verse 17? What must I do to inherit? He thought he could earn it. Because his whole life, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, his whole life he had been trying to earn his daddy's affection he had been trying to earn his mother's love he had been trying to earn a friendship and Jesus said it's not that way with me you can't earn this all you can do is receive it oh hallelujah you can't do one thing that'll make Jesus love you anymore then he loves you right now. If I'm not talking to anybody else, let me just talk to me for a minute because I've got flesh on my bones still because we can get caught up thinking that I can do enough to make God love me more than he loves. And if I get him to love me more, then he'll bless me more. He couldn't love you any more than he did when he saw you at the depth of your sin. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, how do I know that's love? Because Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. And while you were at your worst, he loved you at his best. He said, there's no way you're going to earn this. I'm going to give it to you. Well, how do I know he gave it? God so loved the world that he gave. I know this isn't probably the deepest thing you've ever come across in scripture, but I'm gonna tell you something. It'll heal wounds that have been left in you for years. When you realize you don't have to earn the affection of God that he already loved. Now this doesn't mean you can go be a sinner and a heathen This don't mean you go do whatever you want to do and then God just has to love you. What that means is he loves you enough to not make you jump through a bunch of hoops to get what he's planned for your life. Amen. All right, horses pointing toward the barn. Somebody say, giddy up and we'll run. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Now, Now, watch verse 22. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. What he didn't have was great love. Don't let your material outweigh your affection for God. In other words, I can't fall in love with money so much that I'm willing to chronically miss the house of God for money or keep myself so exhausted with my career that I don't have time to pray or time to read the Bible or time to do good for my fellow man. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Here was a young man that understood inheritance by the letter of the law, but did not understand how to receive from the love of God he thought he could earn his way in. I'm saying that to say this. You can't earn anything God has for you. You just got to obey his word and receive it. For we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't say I've done anything to make God want to save me. Though I, though I cured cancer, though I were able to feed every hungry mouth on this planet, it would not bring me any closer to earning salvation for my life. And you know why I'm saying that? Because he put it in the will. That's why you and I are benefactors of this. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. But what we can do is say, okay, God, what is it in my life that might be keeping me from walking in that perfect fellowship with you? May not be able to earn it, but there are some things I'm going to have to give up along the way. For the rich young ruler, it was his great possessions. to others it was habits, to others it was this. Or There are things that God will put his finger on in our life and say, I need you to step away from that. Who's to say that the rich young ruler, if he would have gave everything away, that, that a few years later it wouldn't have come back to him tenfold? Well, Jesus told Peter, there's nobody giving up anything for me, both houses or land, that I will not return it unto him A hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. If that dude would have stuck around, he'd have heard that message. But he didn't. He was so in love with possessions. One man ran to Jesus and said, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus returned to him with a gentle smile and a warm heart. He said, okay, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests but I have nowhere to lay my head. And we don't hear one more word about that. man. You see, as long as we're serving God for the nests and the holes and the wealth and the blessing and all of this, we take our eye off the mark. The greatest blessing. I'm so sorry that this might be so elementary and I might be sounding so redundant, but the greatest blessing you're ever going to get is knowing that God has set you free from sin and saved our soul for eternity. Amen. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. And he, and he said, um, I want you to go out and I want you to cast out devils. I want you to heal the sick. And they come back to him. Remember when he sent out the seventy? And they came back rejoicing. And they were so excited. They said, demons are subject to us. And they were impressed with themselves. They read the will. They heard the benefactor. Go heal the sick. Go preach the gospel. Cast out. And they came back. They were enthralled. Demons are subject to us. They were rejoicing and Jesus said, yeah, it's pretty cool. But don't don't rejoice because demons are subject to you. Remember what he said? Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because the greatest benefit you're ever going to receive from God is eternal life. It's not the promotion on the job. Thank God for it. It's not the new house. Thank God for it. It's 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 not even the spouse or the children. Thank God for them. The greatest blessing God can give us, the greatest inheritance he can give us is eternal life. He put it in his will. but in his will matter of fact he signed it in his own blood on Calvary and said I'll take your sins you take my blood I'm gonna cover your sin I'm gonna cover it for you but God I can't be good enough to be that's okay you do what you can I'll do what I can the Lord I failed you yeah I know you have. But my will says that as long as you're willing to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness, I'll lift you up every time. What an inheritance we have. What a blessed hope. that! We, why, why, why wouldn't everybody want to be saved? I can lay my head on the pillow at night? No. That if my eyes do not open in the morning, if breath shall leave my body and my flesh is cool in the morning, I've got peace knowing I've read the will and I've got everlasting life. Would you stand with me tonight? I've got everlasting life. Amen. By the grace of God, next... Next week, we'll jump a little bit more into the inheritance and talk about how we as Gentiles are brought into this covenant with the Lord and what a beautiful covenant it is that we're in. Let me say this to you. When you repent of your sins, you ask God for forgiveness. He the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive. This afternoon, I was teaching a Bible study to a young man. I was talking about baptism. And I said, when you are baptized in the name of Jesus, it's not to show people that you're a follower of Christ. Nowhere in the book does it say that. Baptism is not about showing people you're a follower. That's not what it's about. It says it's for the remission of sin. That lets me know repentance Will bring God's forgiveness of sin. But only through baptism can it be removed so that it's not held against me. But the Bible also says when we are baptized, Brother Michael, that we take on his name. That's adoption. take on that name of Jesus. You know, the one that God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And Brother Brother Kirk, he just takes us and he pulls us into the family. He says, you may come from a bunch of losers and dingbats and it don't matter because now you got my name. And you may come from the wealthiest among you, but it doesn't matter. Now you've got my name and you're getting in the will. But Ephesians 1, Brother Chase says, oh, I love this, that he then seals it with the Holy Ghost. Alleluia. That's what he said, Ephesians 1. That you are sealed with that Holy Spirit. He put that seal on you when he baptized you in his name and filled you with the Holy Ghost. You're a part of the family of God. We used to sing an old song that said, shake hands with a poor boy who owns everything. Because what you see is not what you get. What you see is who he got. And now I'm a part of the beloved. And I'm a part of his will. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you about that next week. I am a Gentile, have now been brought in to that Abrahamic covenant of inheritance. I may never own a Bentley. I may never live in a mansion. Doesn't matter. He's already willed it to me everlasting life. Everlasting life. Would you lift your hands right now? Would you thank him for everlasting life? Hallelujah. Oh, there's such a beautiful touch of the Lord in this place. You just begin to reach up to the Lord and talk to him from your heart right now. Maybe maybe there's something in your life that you need to ask God forgiveness for. Maybe maybe you've Failed him. Maybe you slipped up in your walk. Don't don't stay down. Get back up again. There's grace and there's mercy and there's forgiveness. Hallelujah. Maybe it's been a while since you fret, felt that fresh fire, that fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. Just let it happen tonight. Come on, you're sealed with that, with that holy promise, with that Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah